0: Almost every week, you hear me say that our mission here at River Life is to bring hope and healing to 2nd and 3rd Gen MONG. So have you ever wondered where that came from? Have you ever wondered why hope and healing? Of all the things we could have put in a mission statement, why hope and healing? Or why focus on 2nd and 3rd Gen Mong? Why don't we make, why don't we do a multicultural church or a church for anybody without any kind of ethnic designation? Why focus on 2nd and 3rd Gen Mall? So if you've ever wondered, if you've ever asked yourself those questions or asked somebody else those questions, then you'll be very glad you came today because that's what we're talking about. Where did that come from and how, do, how did we get here from there? So to answer these questions, today's message is going to be a little different. It's going to be part storytelling, part statistics, and part scripture. So it'll be a little different today, but but I have one hope. I have one goal out of today's mission, that you will be as compelled and committed to the mission of River Life as I am. That is my goal for today, that you will be compelled. Your heart will feel it. Your your mind will race with ideas, and you'll feel that compassion. You will be compelled to love this mission that we have to bring hope and healing to second and third generation moms. So to start off, to explain where this mission statement came from, I'm actually going to invite my wife Pampa up here because she was fundamental as she and I as in discovering this calling, in hearing from God, and and crafting into what became what we this mission we launched River Life with four years ago.
1: All right. Um. Greg and I moved to the Twin Cities in 2001 because I was pursuing my doctorate at the U. Little did we know that God actually brought us here for the future of river life. Um, But back in 2001, we looked around for churches and we decided we wanted to go to a Hmong church. Partly because I'm Hmong and partly because we felt the call to go back into the Hmong community Going off to college, I pretty much left the Hmong community behind. And then when I married Greg, I thought, that's it. My ministry in the Hmong community is over. But God had a different plan. So over the next 12 years that we were living here in the Twin Cities, we attended two different Hmong churches. And in those churches, Greg would uh, usually volunteer with the youth, and I had uh, volunteer ministries with the women's ministry, the Naches, um, or oftentimes with life groups or Bible studies. But what we began to see over those years, over that decade, is that little kids in the church would grow up and then they would disappear. As soon as they could drive or as soon as they could say to their parents, no, you can't make me go to church, they would just disappear. Even youth who had been active in the youth group would go off to college and then stop coming to church, and many would fall away from the faith. And years and years of seeing this, and with Greg in youth ministry, we got to sit down with these youth and talk with them, and we learned about their pains, the challenges they had of identity, of being bicultural of being in churches where the language, they couldn't even understand the sermons, of coming to church and being told that they were dressed the wrong way or that they weren't acting the right way or they weren't long enough. And we just saw how hurt and broken uh, these young people were. Um, As I worked with the Natchez, with the moms, and even with some of the dads, what I saw was that, Almost every single family had at least one or two or three or maybe even all of their children who had left the church. And it just broke our hearts. And what Greg and I were seeing is what um, an Asian-American writer in 1996, she had written an article, and she entitled it The Silent Exodus. And Helen Lee, back in 1996, in her article in Christianity Today, was describing what was happening in the Japanese-American churches, the Korean-American churches. Um, The Korean and Chinese and Japanese churches were seeing their second generation, their kids, leaving the church. And here's what she wrote. She noted that at an alarming rate, many young believers who have grown up in these Asian congregations are now choosing to leave not only their home churches, but possibly their Christian faith as well. And she went on to call this a silent exodus of church-raised young people who find their immigrant churches irrelevant, culturally stifling, and ill-equipped to develop them spiritually for life in the multicultural 1990s. The Hmong churches were experiencing this two decades later. And God gave Greg and me a front row seat view of the struggles and pains that young Hmong were experiencing their families in their churches, and then subsequently their exodus or their leaving from the church. They were hurting deeply, and many of them were feeling hopeless. And our hearts broke for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd because their parents' immigrant churches could not, and even in some cases, would not minister to them. And despite the fact that in the Twin Cities, there are literally thousands of churches that these young people could have gone to, at that time, there were only a handful of churches that could minister directly to them, could understand their cultural context, and could speak to them in their heart language. So River Life was born as part of God's movement to reach the second generation Hmong. And what it means to be second generation is children who were born here, but their parents were immigrants from mostly Laos. So the parents would be considered first generation, and the children born and raised here would be called second generation. The third generation would be the children of the second generation. So at that time in 2013, when God called Greg and me to plant River Life, there were several other young Hmong pastors in the Twin Cities who were also beginning churches that were going to be focused on reaching the second generation. So River Life is part of a movement, um, and several of those churches are still here today. However, because Greg and I had been ministering in the immigrant, the first-generation churches, we were stunned that God wanted us to plant a church. We basically said, well, God, there are so many other Hmong churches already. Why should we start another one? And, and what would we be doing that would be different? Well, when God gave us this idea, it was really because he had broken our hearts He had allowed us to see, to walk with, to help, to mentor some of these young people, many of whom had left the church. And because our hearts were breaking for this generation, God gave us that vision of planting a church that would be focused to meet the needs of second generation long because they needed a safe place To discover God again, they needed a place that would remove barriers, social and cultural barriers that kept them from asking their questions. And when God called us to do that, the first thing that I did was go to prayer. Because I needed God to confirm that this wasn't our idea. This wasn't our reaction to what we were seeing all around us, but that it had to be God's idea. You remember last week, Greg said that Greg had finished seminary before God said, okay, now plant a church, and he hadn't taken a single class on church planting. So again, we wanted to make sure that this was from God. So in my time of prayer and seeking God's will, God gave me a very clear vision God often speaks to me in dreams and in visions and when I'm praying, because prayer is actually a communication with God where we also listen to what he has to say. And this was the vision that God gave me. God showed me an army of angels lined up in heaven, ready to do battle against the evil forces. And below them on earth was an army of men and women also lined up and ready to do battle. And in front was Jesus Christ himself, the chief, the commander-in-chief of the army. And in the vision, I saw Jesus hand a scroll to me. And I took the scroll, and as I was uh, unrolling it to see what it said, I heard Jesus say, if the Lord adds another company to his army and calls them to the battlefield, who is to question their right to fight? Know now that this commission is not from yourself. It is from the Lord. And God had confirmed for me and for Greg that his commission for us was battlefield plans for a particular part of the the battle and that we were not to look around and compare ourselves to other people and what they were doing. But our job was to listen to the commander in chief and to implement the battle plans that he had given to us. God could not have been clearer in telling us that it was his plan for river life to start. That it was his commission for us to reach the unreached second generation of Hmong in the Twin Cities. And that he is the one that we need to listen to not other people. And so I don't know how each of you is responding to this story or to the visions that I had, but I want you to know this for sure. The founding of River Life Church would never have happened without the confirmation that God provided to Greg and me through this vision. River Life was founded Unabashedly as a church with the mission to reach second and third generation Hmong for Jesus Christ.
0: Wait, hold on. Breaking news. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah, and so and and that's how it all kind of came to be. And now since then, we we've adapted, we have updated our mission to include second and third gen Hmong. We start out with just hope and healing for second-gen Hmong, but we realized about a year and a half or so, we we began to realize that the the third-gen Hmong weren't a group that we were waiting for to join our church. They were already here. They're our kids, our youth. They came here every Sunday. They were a part of River Life, and we wanted hope and healing in Jesus' name for them as much as we wanted for all of the adults. So about a year or so back, we, we updated our mission to be Hope and Healing for 2nd and 3rd Gen mong. So God had given us a mission. He'd given us a clear calling to a group of people and to an idea of hope and healing. So, so I set out to learn as much as I could about this group. So me and, and both of us were both sort of numbers people and being, being a researcher and a former math teacher, I started to dive into numbers. And I, I started to find all the data, all the research, everything I could find on Hmong and particularly younger Hmong, second generation Hmong. And I spent about two months compiling data. And it, we ended up writing, she and I ended up writing about a 40 page report on data of an analyses of second and third gen Hmong. And even from that we did sort of a one-page talk sheet that some of that I'm gonna share with you today and I actually have that sheet available on the info table. So if you're interested in stats and even some statistical models that she and I developed from scratch, if you're interested in that, you can grab one on your way out. But I thought I'd share some of these stats with you because this is part of also what compelled me and what created kind of, a, as as Bill Heibel says, a holy discontent in my heart. Now, before I dive into that, I want to make three notes. First, is all of this data is from 2014 or before, so some of it might be out of date. I acknowledge that, uh, but it's still very valuable. Second, is all of these numbers are approximations. Because in statistics, there's no designation of second-gen Hmong. It's all on a, it's, it's age groups, it's uh, how long you've been living in the states, things like that. So we had to do a lot of extrapolation with these numbers. So these are all approximate. I am not going to die on a hill for any number you're about to hear here. Um, and then lastly, if you are interested, definitely grab one of those handouts. And, and if you're a research numbers person yourself and you want to read the whole thing, I can email that to you as well. So, let's start off with the population. Population. There are approximately 80,000 Hmong in the Twin Cities. Now, this is a heavily debated number. Census numbers show lower. Some community leaders say higher. I took all of the numbers out there and kind of picked one in in the middle. So, I'm going to go with 80,000. There might be more. There might be less. This is amazing. Seventy-seven percent are under the age of 34 which that means there's a high correlation between that age group and someone being second or third gen. Um, It's not 100%, but it's a high correlation, which puts us at about 61,000 second and third gen Hmong in the Twin Cities. Now let's talk about households. 86% of second gen Hmong live with their family. So it's, and you all know that, a bunch of you live with your parents or your grandparents, um, with other siblings. That's just part of what life is like for second gen. Uh, also, last decade, th- there were two stati- interesting statistics that came out. In the last decade, there was a 7.2% drop in married households. There was also a 4.2% increase in single moms. Now, what that shows is while the number of households with a husband and a wife in, of Hmong households, it is considerably higher than the national average, but what it shows is the last decade, that is starting to change. And the truth is, of you know that. You have siblings who are divorced. You have parents who are divorced. You know that's happening more. You're being, you have nephews and nieces who are being raised by moms without a dad around. And so, so it's changing. It's just beginning to change what households look like for moms. Um, let's talk academics. So the good news is that Hmong overall, if you look at the last 20 years, have increased in academic performance. So that's the good news. <laughs> the bad news is Hmong still find in school still have lower performance than the general population. That, that's kind of expected. That's OK. But also lower among other Asians. OK, a little less OK. But here's the most troubling one. They even have the lowest academic performance among other Southeast Asians in America. And that one, that one really hit me. As a former high school, I was a high school math teacher for five years. I love education. I value it. And I saw that. I was like, wow. This is a group that is struggling for six hours a day when they go to school. Um, Also, more men graduate high school, but more women graduate college. I'll let you sort of explore why you think that's true. Let's talk economics. Sixty percent of Hmong live at low income or in poverty. Sixty percent. They're actually one of the highest ethnic groups in the Twin Cities. It's the top of the list for those that live for low income, they're the top of the list. In poverty, they're the second, number two on the list. So that means, and there is so much that goes along with growing up in poverty or growing up at low income. So all of that, people are coming with that baggage and those wounds and those, those risks and that instability. Um, also, in the Twin Cities, the Hmong have the lowest per capita income. So even among just the Twin Cities, Hmong are economically struggling. Now, my guess is after, after four years, that, that number is probably building up more. So, it'd be interesting to look at those stats for 2018 or coming into 2019 as well. So, lastly, let's talk about church involvement. So, about 10%, so about 80,000 are Christian or members of a church, and that's the based off CMA records and Lutheran records and some approximations and estimations, but, but about 10%. There's some disagreement about this number as well. Some say it's lower, some say it's higher. Um, when, I, when I went through the numbers, 10 actually seemed to, to land and support the data pretty well. Um, but each weekend, if you look at attendance, it's only about 5% who, who attend or actually sitting in a seat in a church on a Sunday morning. So... If we combine the population data with the church involvement data and take a little bit of spiritual creative license, I come up with the following statement. There are approximately 50,000 second and third-gen Hmong in the Twin Cities who don't know Jesus. Let that sit with you for a moment. 50,000 second and third-gen Hmong in the Twin Cities who don't know Jesus. These are the people that River Life is here for. This is why we exist. These are the people that we want to show hope and healing in Jesus' name to. These are the people that our leadership team has a passion for. And these are the people that I hope you can develop a passion for as well. This is 50,000 people that God wants a relationship with, 50,000 people who are not being reached well and effectively right now, and 50,000 people that River Life is uniquely equipped to reach. One of the values of the alliance, our denomination, is that lost people matter to God, and He wants them found. For river life, these 50,000 people are the people that God once found. These 50,000 people matter to God, and they matter to us. That's why we're here. And see, for most of you, these aren't strangers. These are your siblings, your cousins, your co-workers, your friends, your classmates. This isn't an ambiguous number for so many of you. These are real people that you have relationships with, that you love, and that God loves. And for many of you, prior to River Life, this was you. (laughs) A lot of you I know are here at River Life because you're coming back to God. You're coming back to church. And some of you are discovering Him for the very first time. This is why river life exists. Now, this idea of hope and healing, where does this come from? This really isn't my idea. It's not Peng Fuwa's. This really is God's idea. Because the truth is, Scripture is filled with hope and healing through God. Literally from Genesis to Revelation. In fact, I believe that I can make a compelling argument to say that hope and healing are some of, if not the dominant themes throughout all of Scripture. You could take anything in the Bible and trace it back to God's desire to heal His creation, His people, and to give them hope in Him, hope for the future, hope for our world, so these are not just random, kind of nice-sounding things. These are major premises throughout all of Scripture. And so one of the most common metaphors that Scripture uses for life is water. And I found as I started to study the Scriptures, and before, this was before our name River Life existed. I started studying, I started diving into the Bible to find out What are these images? What are these metaphors of hope and healing that God gives? And one of the biggest ones that God uses is water. And we see it all throughout Scripture. But there's one really big verse that stuck out to me. I compiled five pages of verses and passages all about life-giving water. But there was a single phrase, seven little words that stuck out to me. And it's out of the book of Ezekiel, chapter 47. And it says, where the river flows, everything will live. Where the river flows, everything will live. And when I read that, I said, yes, that's what I want for second and third Gen Mong. I want them to live. I want them to be restored And and that's the power of the river of God is that wherever it goes, it cannot be stopped. And wherever it goes, it brings life. And that's how we became known as river life. It's this passage. And that passage out of Ezekiel 47 became the anchor passage for us. But you see, here's the cool thing though, is that as I started to dig into this river motif, it actually comes up all throughout Scripture. It's not just Ezekiel. So I'm going to read you four passages today all about this river of God. From Genesis, literally the first pages of Scripture, the river is introduced. And the very last chapter of Scripture, the river is there. And I want to read those to you today to take you on this journey of what the river of God means and its power and what it can do and how this river can bring hope and healing to 2nd and 3rd Gen Hmong and to you. So we're going to start in Genesis, chapter 2. It's the story of creation, and here's how it reads. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and and there he put a man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of, the gland, out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there was a tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. And the passage goes on to talk about these four rivers that this one river broke off into. And that river watered Eden. And my guess is if you picture Garden of Eden, it's as lush as you could ever imagine. Where all of that comes from? That river. So that river brought life to the Garden of Eden. It brought life to the plants, the animals. And it it sustained life there. That was the original life-giving river. So now we're going to jump forward to the book of Ezekiel. And we're going to read this passage that I read a single verse out of. We're going to read a portion of it. So, give you a historical context. At this point, when the book of Ezekiel was written, um, Jerusalem, their city, the Israelite city, had been ransacked. They had been taken into slavery. And their temple, the most holy place in all of Jerusalem, leveled. This was the, one of the darkest times in Israelite history, throughout the whole Old Testament. And this is what the vision that God gave the prophet Ezekiel, to tell the people who were living in slavery, away from their land, away from their temple, many felt away from their God, And this was the vision that that God gave to Ezekiel to give to those people. And he said, you know, there's a river. It's bursting, it's trickling out of the temple, and it's going into the desert. And everything was desert. So here's this river going into the desert, and here's what happens. This is Ezekiel talking in the first person. Then he, referring to an angel that was leading him around, then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows from the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because the water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to En There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean. But the swamps and the marshes will, be, will not become fresh. They'll be left for salt." Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for healing. That's the life that the river of God brings all of us. That's the vision, the metaphor that God gave to Ezekiel to give to the Israelites in their darkest hour. God said, have hope. There is healing in your future. So wherever the river went, wherever, it brought abundant life. Salt water became fresh. The Dead Sea became a living sea. Fish were abundant. Fruit trees grew, and they bloomed year-round. There were no growing seasons. Fruit trees year-round. And their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for healing. That's what healing in God looks like. That's what living in the river of life looks like. And that's the hope and the healing that God was promising to the Israelites, and I believe It's the same hope and the same healing that God promises us when we are in our darkest hours. Now, we jump forward a little bit more to Jesus. Something Jesus said. Now, what was interesting about Jesus' teaching is He routinely took Old Testament metaphors of life and restoration and hope and healing. He took these Old Testament metaphors and He went and applied them to Himself. He said, all of those promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled in me. And this is one of the times he did that. And unless you're familiar with the Old Testament metaphors, you won't even notice. But you know very well the Jews of the time, they know. They knew it. So here's one of those times where, where Jesus said, I am fulfilling prophecy. It's fulfilled in me, the person of Jesus. So Jesus was talking to a woman at a well. They were talking about water, very natural thing to do on a hot day, noontime, at a well. And here's what he says. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. That, that, that's out of the book of John. It's one of the great phrases, living water. Jesus said, listen, you just have to ask me and I can give you living water. Now, the other thing that's awesome about Jesus is he regularly used double meanings. And he regularly did that. He used phrases that could mean two things. One, this is the water that brings life, living water. (laughs) But it's even better. You see, in Greek, this word living is also the word that people use to describe a river like a babbling brook. Because see, lakes were described as still or dead water. But rivers, they're moving. So they're living. They're rumbling. They're bubbling water. So this word, he wasn't just saying it's water that brings life. He's saying this is river water. And every good Jew who heard that knew exactly what he was talking about. This is the river of God. Jesus was saying, He is the river. Instead of the temple in Ezekiel, it's Jesus. He is the river of life. Now, these all are good, but what's amazing is the last reference to the river. It's in the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. If you're ever depressed, if you're ever feeling hopeless, read Revelation 21 and 22. And you'll see what God has in store for those who believe in him. Follow Jesus. Who say yes to Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Read Revelation 21 and 22 and you can't help but smile. Because it's an amazing picture of what restored earth, heaven, a restored Eden looks like. So, here's what part of the description of the new heaven and new earth, a restored Eden looks like. Then, the angel showed me, this is the the Apostle John writing, then the angel showed me a river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, that's Jesus, by the way, down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding it every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Hear any similarities? That is right out of Ezekiel. That prophecy, This is the full fulfilling of Ezekiel's prophecy of the river of God that brings light. And this is what God has intended us to put our hope in. That one day that will be true. Fulfilled completely through Jesus. This is God fulfilling prophecy. And it's God restoring what was originally in Eden, was marred by sin, and now he restores fully in heaven. And that's our hope. And one day we will all drink from this true, physical, life-giving river that comes not from the temple, but from Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Now, but see, we don't have to wait. Because Jesus said, ask me for living water. Ask me for the river of life. We can do it right now. We just ask Jesus. That's what's amazing about it. We can receive this living water, this river of life from Jesus today. It's for every one of you and every one of those 50,000 second and third gen Hmong. Here today available. So I want to close by asking you three questions. Three questions. First, are you living in this river of life? Or are you just doing church? Are you just trying to be good and doing what you think you should because that's what your parents told you growing up, or are you living in this river of life? How do you do it? By having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and your savior? That's what living in the river of life means. That's where hope and healing come from, is in that relationship with Jesus Christ. Without Jesus as your Lord, the best you can do is what the world offers for hope and healing. And you know what? Some of it's okay, but a lot of it doesn't deliver. A lot of what the world promises will give you hope or will heal you, it doesn't deliver in the long run. Sometimes not even in the short run. But God does. And that's why this river matters. That's why I, I talk air almost every week that it's Jesus. It's not about church. It's not about trying hard. It's not about being good. It's not about being baptized. It's not about even calling yourself a Christian. It's about standing in the river of life that is Jesus. So are you living in this river of life today? Second question. Are there parts of your life that need hope and healing? Are there parts of your life that you're sort of holding back? You're keeping from God out of shame Regret, fear. The, the parts, it's kind of like you got one leg in the river, but you're holding out the other leg because you don't really want to really show God that part of you. Because if God really knew that part of you, then he wouldn't love you. He wouldn't accept you. You couldn't come to church because you would be dirty or broken. So you keep parts of it away from God. You hide it from God. You hide it from others. Whether it's habits, sins, addictions that you keep hidden away and you don't allow God's river of life into. So if you've got some of that, today is a great day to say, okay, God, I'm diving in. I am all in. All of my best and all of my worst is going in the river God and I give it all to you and God help me because I'm pretty messed up I need that hope and I need that healing that comes from the river of life and third can you join river life can you join us in our mission to bring hope and healing to the 50,000 second and third gen mong here in the twin cities Can you join us in that? Can you love the people who are outside our church? Can you do that? Can your heart break for them like mine has, like Pafoa has? Can you develop a passion for them, not just for us? Can you make a commitment to say that this church is not about me? This church is about them. It's not about what I want. It's about what would be amazing and awesome and life-giving to 50,000 other people out there. This is for them. Can you join me in that? Can you love that like I do? Now, a little word to our non-Mong folks. Okay? Well, first, you're in good company, because if you haven't noticed, I'm not Hmong either. I know it's a shock, okay? <laughs> but it's true. But see, here's the, here's the cool thing, and I'm living proof of it. You don't have to be Hmong to love Hmong. Hmong <laughs> who Hmong can be Mika Hmong. Mong. Hmong. We can be bigger than this. So if you are not Hmong and you call River Life your home, I hope you have a passion for this as well. And I hope you love Hmong because you're a part of a Hmong church. And we will continue to be a Hmong church. There might be a day where our mission changes. But today is not that day. We're praying. Our leadership team regularly talks about this. As the demographic, as our congregation changes. We used to be only about 95% Hmong with like me and a couple other people. Now we're maybe 80 to 85% Hmong. Because we have a whole lot of folks who aren't Hmong around here now. And I love it. Because I'm not the only one now. (laughs) But we haven't heard from God to change our mission. So, for everyone, Hmong or not, can you join us in loving 50,000 second and third gen Hmong and bringing the hope and healing of Jesus Christ to them? That's why we're here. You know what? And if that doesn't resonate with you, and you give it a shot and you maybe read the statistics and pray over it, and if that doesn't resonate you, with you, that's okay. Because God's going to give you a holy discontent and lead you to a place where you can live that out and you can thrive and you can bring life and Christ to other people, other places. And if you're a part of River Life, my desire is join me in God's mission to bring hope and healing to 50,000 second and third gen mong who do not know Jesus. And God wants them to. And he's put us here for that reason. Join me in prayer. God, you love lost people. You want them found. You love your church, but you love your your creation. Everybody, and you want them to spend an eternity with you. God, so I thank you that you've chosen, you crafted, you birthed river life to be a part of this, to be uniquely gifted and wired and led and filled to reach these people, these people that you love and you want a relationship with. God, so give us all hearts that burn, give us a holy discontent. those 50,000 second and third gen mong burn it onto our hearts hope and healing in you and let us all live in that river of life Let, let river life be a place where Jesus Christ the true fulfillment of the river of life wherever he goes he brings life Let us be a place where that happens every single Sunday and every day of the week. So bring our hearts together for your mission and the people you love. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.